my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair, it's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Math & Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. For years, cosmetics companies and beauty companies would be telling people what's wrong with them. You need this cream because your skin's bad. You need this foundation because you're the wrong color. You need this because you have to change the shape of your nose. That's not true. Yes, you want to look good, but if you don't feel good, you're not going to look good. And it's not about weight or diet. It's just about feeling good. Hi, I'm Bob Pittman. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers in marketing, where we examine that special mix of art and science that's behind the great marketing and business successes. On this episode, we have someone with strong creative and business skills, an unmatched charm and determination, and the successes and brands to prove it. Bobby Brown.
Bobby is sometimes described as a makeup artist, but that is like calling Steve Jobs a computer salesperson. She created a billion-dollar cosmetics business that carries her name. She's written nine books about beauty and makeup. She has been a contributing editor for magazines and online. She's a regular part of our own iHeartRadio's Elvis Duran's morning show. She has danced on stage with Florida. She was a regular on the Today Show, and she is currently doing even more businesses. And with all that, she managed to find some life-work balance with her family and She's a lot of fun. Bobby, welcome. Oh, thanks so much. That's so sweet. We're going to dig into a bunch of the stories, but first I want to dig into you in 60 seconds. So this first thing that comes in your head. Tequila. Wow. I I love that. (laughs) You asked me the first thing that came in my head. Do you prefer sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Montclair, New Jersey or Wilmette, Illinois? Montclair, New Jersey. Chicago or New York? New York. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Snap or TikTok? Neither. Coffee or tea? Espresso. Beatles or Stones? Stones. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Still or sparkling? Still. Are you ready? It's about to get harder. Yeah. Favorite hip-hop artist? Flo Rida. Smartest person you know? My husband. Childhood hero? Aunt Alice. First job? Selling shoes at Carson Perry Scott. Favorite movie? Love Story. Worst beauty trend? So many. Contouring. One superpower you'd like to have? To be a better dancer. Favorite cocktail? Tequila or vodka? Last vacation. Bahamas. Secret talent? I think I'm funny. Title of your memoir, what would it be? It'll be all pictures, no words. Who would play you in a movie? Jennifer Aniston. Proudest accomplishment? My three children. And what's something you can't live without? My family. Okay, let's go. You get credit for introducing natural-looking makeup at the dawn of the 1990s. What was going on at that time, and what were you rebelling against in makeup at that time. Right before 1990, the whole scene in New York was a lot of parties, a lot of going out to the clubs. Women were doing makeup like multicolored eyes and overlined lips and all this crazy stuff. And when I came to New York, I got a job to do a cover of Cosmopolitan with Jerry Hall. I tried everything in my power to do her makeup great. And she was so kind and she said, beautiful job, but can I have the mirror? I gave her the mirror, and she said, can I just make a few touches? She redid her whole face, and I learned watching. I didn't feel bad. I really learned, but I realized I can't do that kind of makeup. So I started doing it my way, and it kind of slowly caught on. So what was your inspiration for your way? Because this was not the way. No, it was definitely not the way. When I was in middle school, I wanted to be pretty, and I didn't think I was, and I would use my mom's makeup to make me look tan and pretty. I didn't want anyone to know I was wearing makeup. And then when I became a makeup artist, I started doing that to models. People told me I'd never work. If you want to work, you have to learn to do the other thing, but I just couldn't do it. And so I started doing it my way, and it slowly, slowly took on. What big names adopted your style that sort of gave you cred and sort of pushed you over that tipping point for you? I did a cover of Rolling Stone with Annie Leibovitz and I made the guys look good and Keith Richards' manager came over to me and said, oh my god, can we book you again? And so I got a couple times got hired to do it because I always made people look healthy. Stones, that's pretty good. That was pretty cred. good. That's pretty good cred. Yeah. So I, I want to dig into this a lot more, but first I want to go back to your roots. You were born in the late 50s in Chicago. You grew up in the suburbs, Wilmette, home of the famous New Trier High School. Yep. Can you paint the picture of those times? I'm the oldest of three kids. I was born to my family when my mother was 20 and my dad 21. 
very good-looking couple. My dad, an attorney, and my mom, a homemaker. By the time they were 25, had three kids. We were living in the suburbs. Pretty normal, but my parents were very young. So I would come home, and they'd be in our TV room with all their friends going to a concert, and like, guys, I smell that. <laughs> what is that? So I kind of grew up around a lot of, you know, things that were happening at the time. I understand you had a very special bond with a very entrepreneurial grandfather. Yes, Papa Sam. What impact did he have on your business? Because evidently he was a hell of an entrepreneur yeah. and a great business mind. Well, it's funny. I really learned a lot watching Papa Sam. I just saw how much he cared about the people that bought his cars, the people that worked for him. He was constantly marketing his own business. He was putting his photos and envelopes. The kids would sit with him and mail the things out and told great stories. He knew Al Capone and Whitey and all these guys. They all bought cars from him. And he was just larger than life for a teeny little funny man. All of 5'2", by the way. So what was the best Al Capone story? Not the best Al Capone story, but my favorite Papa story was one day this man came into the car dealership, looked like he'd been sleeping on the street. He had two garbage bags, and no one would wait on him, not one person in his office. So he went over, and he said, hey, Doc, what can I do for you? And the guy said, I want to buy a car. He said, all right, I'll show you some cars. The bags were full of cash. He bought two cars cash. And so Papa always taught me that you cannot judge by what someone looks like. How about your dad, the lawyer influenced you as a business person? Big influence. My dad was a lawyer till he was 70. He retired and is now a children's book author. He's a very cool, young 84-year-old. He's had quite a life. But my dad used to come home from his law job and sit down with me and do creative things, drawing and photography and art. And he talked about things that fathers, you wouldn't think, they would talk about. He taught me about dating. He taught me about men. He really wanted me to go away to school and study something super interesting in Spain or somewhere. And I ended up studying makeup in college. It worked out for you. It worked out for me, but he wouldn't have known that at the time. When did you discover makeup and how? I discovered makeup when I was a young kid because I used to watch my mom get ready to go out at night. They would go out on Wednesday night and Saturday night. And my mother was very glamorous. And she was very, very skinny and always wore really high heels. And she would sit in the bathroom, basically in her underwear, with her high heels on, her jewelry, cigarette hanging off the counter. And I would watch her do this glamorous makeup, and I would just be in awe. I've never been a glamour girl. I've never personally felt that it was right for me. But I think it's because I watched my mom master it. When did you start wearing makeup? I started wearing makeup probably around middle school, and I was allowed to wear a little bit to school when you couldn't see it. But on the bus, I remember putting blue mascara and you know purple eyeliner in because that's what all the kids did. But I really fell in love with makeup when I was in Florida because we would take our winter breaks in Florida and coming home. I would literally go into the airplane bathroom and put bronzer all over my face because it was always like a competition who had the best tan. So I had the best tan because I knew how to give myself the best tan. I was so into tans in Chicago that in March, as soon as the sun would kind of peek its head, I would take a big giant box that had a refrigerator or something in it, <laughs> put tinfoil in it, put iodine and baby oil all over my body and just lay there. And we would all get tan. No one said that's probably not a good idea. Were you talented in makeup at that age? Were like kids going, wow, how did you do no, that? No, no. I've never been talented in makeup. I just have honed my craft not like some of my peers who are incredibly painters. I'm not a painter. I'm just a, I make sure it looks the way I want it to look. Let's jump to college. You tried out University of Wisconsin, Oshkosh, not yes. for you. 
You tried University of Arizona at Tucson, not for you. Then you discovered Emerson College in Boston, and it clicked. Why? When I found Emerson, I really found my people. I was always under the impression that I wasn't very smart. I would sit in school and be completely bored out of my mind, even in high school, unless it was a teacher that taught with creativity, with this visual vision. Then I would get engaged and be really into it. I'm a visual learner. I didn't know that at the time. I thought that there was something wrong with me and I wasn't smart. But when I finally found Emerson, I found other people that were as creative-minded as I was and learned differently. Emerson College let me study makeup. They didn't have a makeup program. They had something called an interdisciplinary program. I got to make up my own major. How did you find Emerson? My mother sat me down and said, if today was your birthday, you could do anything you want. And I could have said, go to Paris, buy new jeans, something. But I said, I wanted to go to Marshall Fields and play with makeup. She says, well, why don't you become a makeup artist? And I said, I don't want to go to beauty school. The thought of being in a beauty salon was not intriguing to me. And she said, I'm sure there's a college somewhere. And my father's friend told me about Emerson. You have been, I know this, a lifelong supporter of Emerson. Yes. What did you get out of Emerson? What did that put you on a path to? What about you is Emerson? Honestly, everything. Because they allowed me to study makeup. They allowed me to create my own major. I did the plays. I did theater. I took classes on speech. I took classes on filmmaking. But I would decide what film I wanted to do based on what makeup I felt like doing. So I would create the characters and then write afterwards. And I realized I'm not like everybody else. I'm only like me, and it's okay. So who are your early influences on beauty, makeup, style? Well, when I graduated college, there was a makeup artist named Bonnie Maller. I read an article about her in Mademoiselle magazine, and she was the makeup artist that worked with Bruce Weber, Patrick DeMarchelier, did all the fashion shows from Ralph Lauren to Perry Ellis, and she had a very natural style, and she was freelance. And I read the article. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And so I called her up. She never called me back. I wrote her a letter. She didn't answer me back. I moved to New York. I called her again. And I got her answering machine that said, I'm probably traveling, but if you need anything, call my agent, Brian Bantry. I called Brian Bantry. I went to see him, and he said, I can't represent you because you have no experience. I'm like, all right, dude, how do you get experience? He said, I'll start sending you on jobs. So I got out the yellow pages, and I looked up models, modeling agencies, makeup. I went to the makeup union. I just started. There's a makeup union? Of course there is. Yeah. And I walked in there. I said, I'm here. I'm ready to sign up. They're like, okay, well, sit down. Let me tell you how it works. It takes about seven to 15 years to get in unless you know someone, and then it'll take about two to three years. To get in the union? Yes. But they said, we can help you, though. Some of our artists who are in the union need assistance. So they sent me to one girl. Her name was Bobby. She was the makeup artist for Saturday Night Live. So I got to assist her. Eventually, I assisted Bonnie, but I ended up doing a lot of work that she couldn't do. And one of them was Bruce Weber. And that was a big break. I eventually got hired to do magazine work, which is what I wanted to do. took me seven years, but I got a Vogue cover. Is there a lesson in this? I mean, everybody that's building their career wants to know, how do you get that big break? Just know that there isn't necessarily a big break. There's a lot of little things that lead up to it. And it's the simple rules. Number one is you have to be open. Number two is you have to keep going no matter what. You just got to keep at it. And number three is you got to be nice to people. If you're not nice, no one's going to want to either help you or do anything for you. And you just got to keep doing it. 
what made you unique as a makeup artist in that phase of your life? Well, I think what made me unique was my style was different. And I was always ready to go. And if there was some other job that needed to be done, like I needed to fan the models or get them water, I was the kid that did anything. I was so happy to be working. I was a sponge. I wanted to learn a lot. And I just kept trying things. And I think people sensed that I was just an eager beaver. Late 80s, early 90s, you began to make your own makeup. How did that start? Well, not in my kitchen. People say they started making it in their kitchen. I did a shoot for a magazine. I think it was Mademoiselle Magazine. The story was actually on me, how a makeup artist shops in New York City for off-the-beaten-path makeup. We went to Kiehl's, nice guy behind the counter. He's a chemist. I start talking to him about this lipstick I can't find. And he's like, oh, I could make it for you. I said, really? And I told him exactly what I wanted. He made it, sent it back a couple times, not right, too dry, the color. And I said, all right, these are the 10 colors that I think all that you need, really, to get any color out there. And he said, how about this? I'll make the lipstick. You sell it. We'll sell it for $15. You get $7.50. I'll get $7.50. thought, great idea. And he made them for me, and we started selling them out of my house. By the time you debuted in Bergdorf Goodman in New York by 1991, you figured right. something out. Well, do you know how I figured it out? No, I want to hear that. I was in the elevator in my then apartment in New York, and there was a girl in the elevator, and I said hello, and she said hello, and I said, my name is Bobby. Her name was Sharon, and I said, what do you do? She said, I work at a lab, a cosmetics lab. I said, really? Do you have a card? And that lab still makes the lipsticks today. That is amazing. True story. You debuted in Bergdorf Goodman. Right. They estimated... They would sell 100 lipsticks in the first month, and instead they sold the 100 in the first day. Yes. Did that surprise you? Oh, it was pretty cool. But at the time, I had one baby. I was commuting back and forth from New Jersey to New York. I was still working as a makeup artist. My husband was in law school. You know, money was tight. Everything was kind of a blur. You had to scramble, obviously, to get more, and Bergdorf must have said, wait a minute, we got a hit here. Let's give it the shelf space. Right. Well, we were originally on a table, and the only reason we were on a table is because they didn't have any counter space. People now think it was a brilliant marketing idea, and it was in retrospect. And then they said, okay, we need lip pencils. We need eye pencils. So we slowly started adding, and it grew. Then Neiman Marcus called and said, we'd love to take you in four stores. And then Barney's called, and then Bendel's called. We didn't have a salesperson to go sell it. That's pretty good when it sells itself. Because it was different than what was on the market, and it was really hitting a nerve. And I think the combination of having this product that actually didn't really look like makeup that was out there, just made you look better. It didn't smell. It felt good. It wasn't greasy. It wasn't dry. Women looked pretty. It was a more natural look. It's what people wanted. And at the same time, not because there was a strategy, but I was the makeup artist doing makeup for the fashion shows, so I got to talk about the trends. Right. I was also on the Today Show. I got to talk about it, and everything together looked like brilliance, but it was just really good luck. I'm sure you made your luck. Let's go back to Bergdorf <laughs> Goodman. How did you get the introduction? It's going to sound like I make this up, but I was at a party, someone's fancy party in New York City, and I said, thank you for inviting me. My name's Bobby. I said, what do you do? <laughs> and she said, I'm a cosmetics buyer at Bergdorf Goodman. And I'm not even kidding. Wow. And that's Can how I we give you <laughs> some money to put on the roulette table in yeah. Vegas for me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we'd do very well there. So you've got a 
look at that moment and go, okay, something's happening here. What did you make of it? What I remember about that moment is I was still a working makeup artist. My husband was probably still in law school. I had a second baby. I was still commuting. We had business partners. We did not get along with them. Just two different visions or styles or? Both. Both and everything. Yeah. It was really a tough time. And it's probably the reason we ended up selling the company. Interesting. I'm the person at night that starts thinking about my day and everything. And I'm like, really stressed. And my husband's the guy that says, not now. We'll talk about it in the morning. So I had to somehow go to bed. And I woke up in the morning every day and we would talk about it. We knew it wasn't a forever situation. But we were also young kids at the time. We didn't know any better. You had this instant success almost. And on a spectrum of, this must be a mistake, I don't believe I'm worthy of this, to, I'm a friggin' genius, look at me. Where were you falling at that neither, moment? Neither, neither of those. I was just the person that would roll up my sleeves, having a notebook, writing in it, drawing in it, coming out with new ideas. That was the next thing. I wrote a book. What year did you write the book? My first book, it was after Dylan was born, so it's got to be around 92. I didn't know a book agent. I didn't know how you write a book. Okay, so tell us this story. Uh, it's a story. Okay. It's a story. We were in Nantucket for a vacation. I'm on the beach. My kids are playing with some older girl. Her mother, I introduced myself. What do you do? She said, I'm a book agent. <laughs> she was my first book agent. And I did a book. How'd the book do? It was on the New York Times bestsellers list. Just hold on a second because we've got so much more to talk about. We'll be back after a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. 
Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? It look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Math & Magic. We're here with Bobby Brown. So you had a really quick payday. You launched in 91. By 1994, Frederick Fakai, our friend, introduced mm -hmm. you to Leonard Lauder, and you sold Estee Lauder in 1995 and became the chief creative officer. I was actually the CEO in the beginning. Oh, you were? Because I got to pick my title, and I, it sounded cool. I didn't know what a CEO was. But after a few years, they kindly asked me not to be the CEO. I said, okay. <laughs> Was the only reason you sold to unwind a partnership? Well, it was a combination. When Leonard Lauder invited me over for dinner, and we have this talk, dinner on top of his building, looking over Central Park. I don't know how he got the Philharmonic to play, but, you know, it <laughs> did. And he somehow figured out the food I like. It was exactly a Bobby meal with the best wines you've ever had. And he said to me, I know what you want to do. You want to be a mom. You want to be a wife and a creative person. You don't want all this headache. We can grow you, and we promise you total autonomy. I didn't know what autonomy was, but I said, okay. Did you get it? I did. I stayed 22 years. What was his pitch other than, I know you want to do this? How did he get you so excited about Estee Lauder? Well, he said to me, you remind me of my mother. You are so what the brand is, and I know women really live on every word. What you've done is so different. And I believed him. I think he was the best thing that ever happened to me and certainly that company. He's an amazing guy. He is. How did your life change working inside a major company? And how did people begin to treat you once you weren't Bobby Brown, but you were Estee Lauder? Well, it was like being in grad school, sitting in these big corporate meetings with these guys in suits and ties. Me sitting there with some uncomfortable little suit because I thought that's... Mostly guys in that era? Oh, yeah. Mostly guys, even now. Doing women's makeup. Yeah, the top tiers were mostly guys. There were women there. They were kind of the lifers. They'd been there forever. I would try to dress up in this way that I fit in. I was channeling Melanie Griffith and working girl. I used to have to leave my house in the morning with a bag of clothes, one outfit for dropping my kids off, one for going to the corporate office, one going down to do a shoot, and God forbid I had a party to go to. I would just have different outfits. And finally one day I said, this is really stupid. And I chose one outfit. And the only thing I would ever bring with me is a high pair of shoes if I had a party. I even wore blue jeans to the White House every time I went. I didn't care. So if you could reach back in time, give yourself some 
great advice, just as you were ready to sell the company, what would that advice be? Just do exactly what you did. You wouldn't change anything? I wouldn't change anything. Maybe I wouldn't have made sure there was a 25-year non-compete, but it's almost over. Wow, never heard of one of those. We must have not paid attention. But they own your name. They own my name, and they can have that name. After the sale, you, as we were talking about, became an even bigger personality and expanded your scope, but you've sort of done everything. As you mentioned, you were a regular contributor on the Today Show. Do you know how I got that? Tell us the story, because it's a really good story. I was promoting my first book at Neiman Marcus. I did my thing, and afterwards, any questions? There was this cutest little lady in the back of the room, and I went over to her, and she said, yeah, how do I keep my lipstick out of the lines? And I told her, and she said, I've seen you on the Today Show. I had been on once. I said, oh, thank you. And she said, you've done so much. What would you like to do? I said, I'd like to be a regular. She said, honey, Jeff Zucker is my grandson. She called Jeff, and I got on the show on Monday. So that's the way to get in. Find the grandmother. Find the grandmother. That's the lesson in this. You've been a regular contributor on the Elvis Duran show on Z100 and on all the stations he's on, as well as the iHeartRadio app. You were a contributing editor of several magazines. You were actually the editor-in-chief of Yahoo Beauty. You and your husband even have a hotel now. Yes. What did you become? This sounds like another phase of Bobby Brown. Well, honestly, I learned early on that it's not what I know that excites me. It's what I don't know. The projects I get excited about, especially if I've never done them before. I didn't know anything about being an editor-in-chief when I did Yahoo Beauty. I didn't know anything. But I'm like, okay, how would I like to do this? It's kind of the same thing with the podcast and the same thing with the hotel. Never done a hotel before, but I stayed in enough of them. So what turned you on was it was new, it was different. You were learning something, cultivating it. And creative. It's got to be visual. It's got to be creative. I don't like working alone. I like working with a team of people. And I like having people that are good at all these things that I'm not good at. That excites me. So talk a little bit about how does the work-life balance work? I've somehow learned over time what is more important and what isn't. But, you know, when I was a younger working, coming up, I was torn. I would get a call to do Nicole Kidman's makeup on Saturday Night Live, but I had a surprise party for my friend Gino Goldberg. Two weeks, I agonized about what to do, what to do, what to do. And I finally made a decision. I went to the birthday party, and I don't regret it. So you've had a lucky life, Yeah. although you've worked hard for that luck. Talk a little bit about how you give back. You've done some amazing Mm -hmm. things, and how you figure out what you're going to do to give back. We're very big on local. We do a lot of local things that make a difference. We have an organization called Reaching Out Montclair, which helps the underserved. We also just brought a family from the Bahamas that lost their house in the hurricane. 16 people showed up at my house and stayed with us for a couple weeks until we got them a house. And they're here on tourist visas, and they will be here as long as they can because they have nothing to go back to. I went to see them last night in the house, and these are the happiest, most amazing people, and there's nothing that fills me up more than seeing people joyous and happy. Montclair, while we're on the subject of it, someone was telling me that's now the new artist town, that the artists are all moving to Montclair? Well, Montclair is kind of like the Brooklyn of New Jersey. It really is. It's the coolest town, and the reason is it's 12 miles out of New York. It's easy, and it's a complete melting pot. Anything goes there. And your hotel is there? My hotel is there. And we also have a film and TV studio. We have a soccer bubble. My office is right between it. The Food Network shoots across the street from me. We have Stephen Colbert, Patrick Wilson, who is Aquaman. I saw him this morning at the chiropractor. It's a really fun town. So you're back in the thick of business again. Mm -hmm. You left in 2016. It was doing over a billion dollars in revenue, your company. 
aspirations for that again? Never. So what? Never. Tell us a little bit about the new businesses. Well, when I left the brand, I literally had no clue what I was going to do. The first thing I did is I called two friends, two of my besties. One is Mickey Drexler. He was amazing emotional support. The other was Richard Baker, who happened to own Lord & Taylor and & Sachs. Richard said, awesome, I got a project for you, and gave me a Just Bobby concept shop in Lord & Taylor. It was successful enough. Didn't save Lord & Taylor, but it was successful enough. And then I brought it in-house digital. I opened up JustBobby.com digital magazine, started doing speeches and just seeing people. Opened an office, hired an assistant out of the Apple store because I needed someone to help me with my iPhones. Office in Montclair or New York? Montclair. I will never have an office in New York again. Ooh, okay. Sorry. I literally walk to work. My dog comes with me. People's babies come with them. We have a manicurist every other week. It's just so different. Then I got this opportunity to create a wellness brand. The wellness brand is growing the fastest thing right now. We're in a lot of retail. We're digital. We're going to the UK opening boots. I'm also launching a podcast, as we said, with iHeart, which I'm really excited. Called Beyond the Beauty. Beyond the Beauty. Pretty excited about that. We're very excited about Aww. it, by the way. And folks have worked with you, give you rave reviews. Uh, honestly, all that stuff means a lot. I just launched a masterclass, which was the first ever makeup. I had to get models, and I got to teach my philosophy, which is health and wellness and entrepreneurship and not contouring. So talk about Beyond the Beauty. The podcast. Beyond the Beauty is basically I talk to everyone from my husband, my kids, my Aunt Alice, to hair restoration people, to fitness people, to entrepreneurs. It's things that I want to learn because beauty isn't just makeup. It's really what is beauty? Beauty is what you like to look at, what you like to feel like. I'm a very curious person trying to better myself. I like to share with people the things that I want to know. And guess what? It's not that complicated. Are you doing one a week? One a week, yep. Tell me about podcasting. When did you first get interested in podcasting? When did it pop on your radar screen? Well, I had no clue what podcasting was. I met Gary Vaynerchuk. So I was on his show a couple times. He invited me to come back. And then one day he started a podcast division. He wanted to do a podcast. I said, okay. I don't have an agent, by the way. I don't. It sounds like you've never had an agent. I've never had an agent. So I did it for about a year and a half, and that was called Long Story Short. I would just come in and I have all these interesting people, people I didn't know, people I would bring in and just start talking and ask them, like, who are you? This podcast is really yeah. for marketers and yeah. entrepreneurs. What do marketers not understand about beauty and health? People that are beauty people don't understand that beauty is more than just makeup. There are other things that are beauty, and women are more interested in lifestyle than just beauty. So it's not about this perfect thing in your face. It's about how everything goes together. So when you look at models and you look at magazines or you look at online or social, how are they getting wrong and how they're representing things to women in America? Not everyone is doing it wrong, but I think that there's a big opportunity because for years, cosmetics companies and beauty companies would be telling people what's wrong with them. You need this cream because your skin's bad. You need this foundation because you're the wrong color. You need this because you have to change the shape of your nose. That's not true. Yes, you want to look good, but if you don't feel good, you're not going to look good. And it's not about weight or diet. It's just about feeling good. Thinking about this moment in time in beauty and fashion, how would you describe where we are right now? We're at a very interesting time because there's a combination of the YouTube makeup tutorials 
and people becoming brands because of this platform and makeup that supports it. We also have the big brands that are trying to figure out what's going on. We have the digital brands that are, some are doing brilliant jobs. There's so many of them. And there's also the new clean movement. So I find it a really exciting time, but I see a really big white space. Talk about ingredients in the products. It's changed a lot. It has changed a lot, and hopefully it will change permanently because there are a lot of ingredients that when I was making cosmetics, I had no clue they weren't good for you. Everything gets absorbed through the skin. So I only use organic, clean things to clean my house. I make sure that what I eat is as clean as possible. I know not everyone listening could afford organic food, but if I have a choice, I don't want chemicals. There's no reason to do that. The best quality food that you could put in your body is going to make you look better. The clean beauty space is going to keep growing, and I think eventually no one's going to have a choice. Every company is going to have to have clean products. So you've been a big success by almost every measure of success, family, financial, work, fame, etc. I know there are a lot of folks listening who are building their careers today. What advice would you give them? I mean, I would first of all say there is no rush. I help a lot of young entrepreneurs that I'm friends with, and they always seem like, it has to be done now. Oh my God, it has to be done. Oh my God, Series A, Series B. I don't even know. Like, guys, <laughs> calm down. You've got to build a brand. People think that the whole idea of building a brand is to sell it and make a lot of money. No, build a brand that you love. It takes time. It's like a baby. you got to nurture it. So I would tell people to relax and chill and not be afraid to change. If something they're doing isn't working, change. So as we wrap up, we end each episode with a shout-out to those special people on the creative side and on the analytical side of marketing and business. Who is your choice for that math person, that analytical brain that you've encountered or know about? I mean, right now I'm going to say David Nass, who was my CFO, just because he was the one that understood and he knew exactly how to explain it to me and teach me. So on the creative side, who's the magician? I would say a photographer named Henry Luttwilder, and I've been looking for my creative marketing partner for 100 years. Bobby, you have an amazing life story, lots of valuable lessons. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for asking me. Nice to see you. Here are a few things I picked up in my conversation with Bobby. One, there's no such thing as a big break. As Bobby says, it's a lot of little breaks that eventually add up to a big success. Two, get excited about what you don't know. Whether it's becoming a magazine editor or hosting a podcast, Bobby's always eager to step outside her comfort zone and try new things. Three, talk to everyone you can. Some of Bobby's most important relationships, from her makeup manufacturer to her distributor to her book agent, all started with a simple conversation with a stranger. Bobby has her own podcast, Beyond the Beauty with Bobby Brown. Be sure to give it a listen. That's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to Math and Magic, a production of iHeartRadio. The show is hosted by Bob Pittman. Special thanks to Sue Schillinger for booking and wrangling our wonderful talent, which is no small feat. Nikki Etor for pulling research, Bill Plax and Michael Azar for their recording help, our editor Ryan Murdoch, and of course, Gail, Raul, Eric, Angel, Noel, Mango, and everyone who helped bring this show to your ears. Until next time.
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. (laughs) You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.